0: Rugby podcast. My name is Dan Murphy. With me always is the fantastic Derek Brissett. And we are actually very fortunate uh, tonight that we have the uh, wonderful Curry Hitchbourne, uh, UBC's head coach uh, at, with the performance rugby program. Curry, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We're excited to kind of talk a little bit of rugby. We love having uh, guys like you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, always
1: nice to speak to other people about rugby who don't live in British Columbia.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, in true fashion, uh, Corey, I want to start by not talking about rugby, um, because this is actually something that that Derek uh, almost tried to look for a new guest or a new host about. And I want to get your guys' opinion on this. So um, the CN Tower last night lit up in red, blue and white for the Montreal Canadiens. And it started a little bit of debate with yeah. league fans and have fans and basically any hockey fan in Canada, but is it, is it, does he, do you lose your, your fan membership by cheering for another team to do well in the playoffs? Absolutely. any type of event.
2: Absolutely. No question. See, Dan, this is why I want Curry to come on to back me up on this. The fact that you're insane. If you agree, I, listen, me. you know, I, uh, here, here's my Dan.
0: argument. Okay. Let's hear your argument. So, <laughs> I don't think that this... I I would agree with you if it was like the Boston Bruins or the Ottawa Senators. It's Montreal. It's worse. It's worse than both those teams. When was the last time that this... When was the last time in our lifetime, Derek, that it was a relevant rivalry?
2: A week ago when they beat them in the playoffs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but like... I would. always oh, relevant. It's Leafs. Much. I don't. They haven't you know played what? in the
2: playoffs for a long time, but it's a week ago.
0: It wasn't. It wasn't even that much of a crusty playoff. Like, yeah, the Tavares thing was really bad, but that was all accidental. There wasn't any like fire. Like it was like in the Boston series or or go back to the early 2000s with the Ottawa Centers. I just don't feel that like that anger and that frustration towards the Habs. I feel more angry, about the Leafs and how they played than how the Habs managed.
1: I don't know, Dan. Look, look Dan, are you a Leafs fan? Is I am. I am a Leafs fan. Okay. Right. So I moved to Canada in 1995 from northeastern Nevada, and I moved to North Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'd never played hockey a day in my life. I'm from the high desert, never learned how to ice skate, (laughs) never seen a rugby ball. You played baseball, you played American football, you wrestled, and you did all those things if you weren't busy cowboy. So when I moved up here, I asked everybody, hey, what's the deal with hockey? And if you've been to Vancouver, Vancouver is famous for having just some of the worst sports fans humanly possible. (laughs) My God. (laughs) I have come across, I've never been able to put it into proper words because I'm always of the mind, you know, our biggest sporting rivalry was the nearest town, 58 miles away versus our high school, which we lived 25 miles away from. So, you had Spring Creek Spartans versus the Elko Indians, and that was huge. And no matter what, that was your team. If you had told me that Elko Indians had made the state 5A championship and they were playing Minden, Gardnerville, Wooster out of Reno, and you put an Elko Indians flag in Spring Creek, Nevada, that <laughs> flag is getting taken down. <laughs> It's a very interesting point you raise, though, because I believe that it highlights a lot of stuff around professional sports in Canada, most notably rugby, and the sense of national pride that goes around whenever somebody from Canada, be it the Raptors, be it the Jays, be it um, the Leafs, I I get why a lot of people band around that Canadian team in whatever sporting arena they have, be it MLB, be it NBA, be it NHL. I get that because I see it happen all the time, but it would be like if there was an NFL team here in Vancouver and people were cheering for, now that's a shitty comparison. It's never going to have an NFL team here. (laughs) I don't get it. I just, I just don't understand it in any way, shape or form. I'll cheer for individual players and full disclosure to both of you. I never learned how to ice skate. I can tell you one rule of hockey, which is offsides. <laughs> yep, the, right. rules, the rest is an absolute mystery to me. All I know is, is that I am constantly coaching kids. Cause I still volunteer quite a bit who are routinely told to immediately stop playing rugby at 15. Cause they might make the NHL, which if you ask this guy smells and looks and sounds like 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag.
0: Oh, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Like, the, the, this this dream that that parents are continuing to think they could if they can just shell the money out that their son can make the NHL when there's so many things that half of it's luck half you know a part of it's genetics you know like it's, it's sure. crazy you know there's some there's some athletes that 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 miss out on being making you know higher leagues just because they hit puberty at the wrong time.
1: No, totally. I you look at the NHL draft and it seems like a bunch of guys who it looks like, a, like a, a ninth grade boys hockey team. You know, some of those guys yeah. don't even shave it. Not taking anything away from it. You know, and I, the athleticism required is ludicrous. The skill required is insane. I'm not taking anything away from the sport itself. It just doesn't. It just does nothing for me. And, you know, when you talk about the costs associated with hockey, that's always been kind of the thing that separates rugby from hockey. But I mean, if you want to make a Canada U18 team, you're looking at shelling out anywhere from 24 to $3,000 for a a week long tournament in Chula Vista. Or if you want to make a Canada U18 side, there's costs associated. You want to play rugby for your province, you have to pay to play. So when we look at the relationship of indulgent parents forking out cash based on their dream, their child's dream, you know, sure. I got it. You got to take that risk. And if you have the funds to gamble by all means, but, it's the belief that people wake up and they automatically want to play rugby for their country or they want to play hockey for their country. Kids kids are not waking up in Canada, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I really want to make the men's national soccer team. They don't want to do that. They want to go overseas. There's not a kid here or in the United States, for that matter, that grows up going, you know what I want to do? I want to play basketball for America. No, you want to play for the Nets. You want to play for the Lakers. Yeah. You want to play for professional sports. I really struggle with making professional sports part of a national identity. I don't think I don't think they're the same thing in any way, shape, or form. I believe that they can serve mutual purposes, but to mix one with the other really convolutes a lot of messaging. And I also believe it turns a good number of people off. I, I've coached literal thousands of people, literal thousands of people I've coached in a volunteer capacity, you know, in a paid gig. I've been involved in all sorts of rugby initiatives. And one thing sticks out really clear to me is that At its most base part, guys want to have fun. Still, rugby is one of those sports that you still are able to have fun. And if you can get paid to have fun, fucking hell! Like that's that's the dream. I I cannot believe people are paying me money to coach rugby.
0: (laughs) I can't believe it. You're going to pay me to do this? I've been doing this for free for 15 years. So like, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a very it is a very North American thing that that no, it's a very Canadian Canadian thing. Well, no, sorry, about about professional sports being the, the echelon, the highest tier. Very uh, North American, agreed, yes. Of yeah. how you, uh, like, you know, you don't, you don't, like you mentioned, yeah. I don't, they don't dream about, you know, joining uh, Canada basketball. It's playing for the Raptors now.
1: Yeah, but if you're a little kid growing up in Merthyr Tidville, or you're a little kid growing up in Wilmslow, England, or you're growing up in Linlithgow, Scotland, man, if you can get a chance to represent your country. And that's because representing your country leads to professional opportunities. Rugby is a unique sport in that regard.
0: Very much so. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? Let's get into the, into the rugby career. And you mentioned you your you know, you moved up to Canada from Nevada. Uh, our first Nevada. Was, it's Nevada. <laughs> uh, it's Nevada. Nevada. It's
1: Nevada. Nevada. It's not Nevada. It's
0: Nevada. Don't worry, Harry,
2: that's not the first word Dan's going to pronounce wrong, podcast, not so. wrong. That's all good,
0: Dan. How did you get started in rugby? What was the first thing that got you you know on the pitch? So, um...
1: My father moved us to North Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, back when it was a relatively blue-collar community. So, um, you know, and parents are split. So I'd spend some time down in the states with my mother, and I'd spend some time back up here with my father. We wound up going to high school up here, and um, we didn't have we didn't have any money growing up. Uh, my father went from being a geologist working for a company called Placer Dome at the time, um, very, very, very good at his job. And when they shut the mine down outside of Nevada, it was like, well okay, we can't stay here. I'd have wound up in prison. My sister would have wound up as a teen mother. My brother would have wound up in the Marines and that would have been the end of it. So they gave my father an option. They said, you can either move to Santiago, Chile or Vancouver, Canada. My old man flipped a coin and it was Vancouver, Canada. So I was living in Bozeman, Montana with my mother at the time, just outside of Yellowstone, getting a real good education, just in some outdoor stuff, hunting, fishing, trapping, those sorts of things. And father let me know that we had an opportunity to move to Canada. And I was like, shit, all right. Okay, so I move up here. Dad promptly loses his job. <laughs> and uh, because we were um, on student visas, I couldn't legally work. And my, uh, my mom, my dad's, my dad's newest, newest wife at the time, she, uh, she couldn't work. So my dad entered into the consultancy fact um, kind of area and said, hey, you know, maybe someone will help me find gold. Here's my resume. Well, my brother and I didn't have a lot of money to play sports, and we didn't have the ability to work and gain. So what we did is we started mowing lawns and shoveling driveways, cash jobs, that kind of thing. We're sixth, seventh grade, and then one day we're biking down um, quite a large hill called Capilano Rugby uh, Capilano Hill, and we're biking out to the ocean because again we're from the desert. So let's go look at the ocean. And we bike right past the Capilano Rugby Club, and unbeknownst to me then, and I know quite, I know both of these men quite well now, um, I watched a Richard Bice if you're familiar with Richard Weiss, yep former title prop of canada yep. just going to town with julio dakotas and you wouldn't know the dakotas family but they're a group of developers out here all from north vancouver very hard-working people italian descent and um, remarkable athletes in their own right and i just watched two enormous men just the cameras and tongs and my brother and I, we stopped our bikes and we're fairly robust children at the time. And I looked at my brother and my brother looked at me and I punched him on the arm and he punched me on the arm. And then I pushed him off his bike and he pushed me off my bike. And then a fellow by the name of Josh Bjornson looked over the bench and said, you know, essentially cut it the fuck out. You two, what's going on? We're Like, what is this? And he's like, this is rugby. So, okay, well, what does it cost? And he's like 50 bucks, pay your dues. We're like dues. Okay. And he's, All you need is a pair of boots. And we're like boots. those guys are playing in cleats. He's like, (laughs) yeah. All right. Went went home, told our dad, and this would have been in the springtime and uh, mowed a bunch of lawns. And then that next fall, signed ourselves up for club rugby and didn't look back since. I was a very awkwardly shaped, angry teenage boy. So it was a real good, real good outlet for me. Um, As I began to grow into my body and really enjoy it. um, I had a specific job to do on the field and it got me a full-ride scholarship to the University of Nevada. Um, Todd Clever was my roommate. I used to oh, sleep in same room as Todd. Played with his older brother, Chris. Uh, played against Cal more times than I've coached against him at UBC. It was a really unique time, too, in the U.S. Uh, around that era as they were just kind of really starting to take rugby a lot more seriously. And they still hadn't the hope in hell of beating Canada. And then, well, <laughs> we know how this winds yeah, the, up.
0: The tides changed.
1: Um, so I've been here in B.C., you know, on again, off again since 95 and haven't left. Last time I left the country would have been in early two thousands and then went out to Japan, hadn't traveled in over a decade. And then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Japan. Whoa. (laughs) I was, I was not ready for Japan. I digress. Um, So got into the sport, played, um, you know, all my high school rugby at Hansford secondary school, Played all my club rugby at Capilano, except for one year where I played for the Vancouver Rowing Club. Our high school coach at the time told us if we wanted to start, we had to play there. I said, fine, fuck it, whatever. And uh, went out and did that. Came back to Canada and then went back to my high school. <clears throat> and it's so funny. I, My career is actually in film.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So I'm, uh, you're going to love this. I'm actually a screenwriter, I write for a okay. living. And yeah. I know. What have you you written? uh, So I've I've written a bunch of stuff, um, and I've sold a bunch of stuff. And just because you write something and sell something doesn't mean it gets made. It gets optioned. So I've optioned a lot of things. What it did is allowed me the economic freedom to basically do what I wanted to do, which was go back to my high school. And I figured all things being equal, I owe them, well, I owe them five years. Because if it weren't for that high school I went to, I would have wound up again, you guessed it, in prison. So I showed up there just as a volunteer. <clears throat> and, um, 15 years later, I stopped <laughs> and, uh, in through there, it, it was really, really beneficial for myself, entirely selfish. Why I got into coaching it was solely for me, nobody else, but myself. Um, and then as my film career continued to carry forward, I just got really fed up with the, Hey, let's go for a lunch or Hey, let's pitch this. Hey, let's do that. I'm a big action person. I like to see results. My favorite job I've ever had, my two most favorite job I've ever had. I was a a bouncer. So I started bouncing when I was 17 in bars and then I quit when I was 30. And then uh, up until I broke my back, I loved digging ditches. So I would go to the things like the Toronto International Film Festival. I had a feature-length film there. And people would ask me, so you know, what do you do? Like, I'm a screenwriter. And they're like, oh you don't look at a screenwriter. I like, well, I'm not really. I screenwrite in my spare time, but I bust concrete. And they're like, you what? I was like, well, I'm, I bust concrete or I dig a ditch and I really enjoy it. And they'd look at me and like I got a dick growing out of my head. So it's after two a different worlds, yeah, it was, and I'm not taking away from anybody else's approach or things like that. But I found that the perfect blend between creativity and getting results is actually coaching. So my background being storytelling, I've got my own approach to rugby, not to say that others do not have it, but when I'm building and when I'm planning, when I'm creating, I actually, I follow some very, very basic guidelines that are inherent to telling a really good story. So for me, rugby is a remarkably creative outlet. Um, I came by it Honestly, like I said, just a dog shit rugby player, but somewhere along the way I became, and I can say this confidently, I'm a very good rugby coach and I'm, I'm very good at what I do and I enjoy what I do. And I really enjoy what, I'm, what I do because I'm never going to be the best at it. There's always something to do better. There's always something to be done. So you factor in, you know, you've got me with a strong storytelling background. I've got some fairly weaponized dyslexia and dysgraphia, add on to that some ADHD and some, some compulsion stuff as well. And I, rugby provides a lot of outlets for me personally. Be it sensory, be it creatively, be it in terms of being able to sleep at night, seeing results, things like that. So I very selfishly coach, and I do thoroughly enjoy the sound of my own voice. As you're going, (laughs) people
2: that enjoy that's why we have the podcast. Yeah, and exactly, people that enjoy the sound of their own voice make the ideal podcast guests, though. So we're we're happy to to hear you. It's a fun.
1: It's a fine line between interest and bullshit, though. So I'll try and I'll try and filter as best I can here. So I've been involved in rugby here um, in North America since
2: I can commonly say 1996. Very nice. And as, as you did mention, it's like you are, are quite the successful coach. Is there any like, Thank you. Mo- is there any moment so far in your coaching career up until this point that kind of like jumps out at you as a bit of a highlight of your career so far?
0: Hmm
1: that's a very good question. Um, I don't look at success in the traditional sense. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have been blessed with really good teams and people who have really paid attention to their own internal processes and had some excellent coaching and they've come to me. Um, you know, so I've coached provincially, I've won six, Six, six national titles for BC at a U-19 level, four or five at a U-16 level, three or four at a U-17 level. Um, I've always just I've always been a big fan of helping out where I can. Uh, most successful moments for me, I mean, it would be things like um, one year with UBC, myself and the then co-head coach Ramsey Slankston, uh, We were redundant. We had been made redundant by our team. Uh, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. They didn't need us anymore. They were so dialed in. They were so switched on that it was like, Ooh. you know. And for me, it was like, um, to borrow a literary term, a waking continuous fictional dream in the sense that it was, I was persona non grata. They didn't need me anymore. And, you know, I've got an ego like a Fabergé egg, but I still know shit from Shinola and being in a position where people didn't need to hear from me and they were so empowered and so switched on and so at ease with one another that they could go through. They didn't lose a game that year. Um, that would, that would be a highlight for me as being made redundant by my own athletes. Another highlight would be um, one of my proudest moments. And also one of my most challenging moments was when I was able to put together a professional rugby team that won not one, but two championships in America's second go around of professional rugby. And I did it all from my cell phone while holding down a full-time job. I never once went to a single Seattle Seawolves game. I didn't need to, I didn't really want to, to be completely frank with you, um, got the right people in the room and got the fuck out of the way. And my job has filled with so many different, different successes that it's really hard to pin down one. Um, success is contagious much the same way that uncertainty is. So right. if you can work towards expectations that would lead themselves towards personal definitions of success, as well as an ongoing promotion of self-betterment. I mean, that's, that's my job. So uh, Derek, to answer your question, there's been numerous, um, you know, winning things is always nice. That's that's the expect that's the ex- that's the expectation, though. You know, that's that's the job. It's competitive, and I'm I'm a very competitive person. Very, very competitive.
0: I like that you kind of mentioned the Seawolves because, really, Curry, you were kind of one of the first names when when MLR started started becoming a legit uh, league, and you know, in a year Are we there yet s- is it legit? Are we there? Well, yet? listen, in, in in a year of 2021, where we've seen. How many startup leagues die and and kind of fumble, and we're now you know into? Are you talking about rugby
1: league? NARL?
0: rugby, an rugby league, and then we saw only one tournament so far from the World Ten Series. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been a really trying couple of years for rugby startups. I've, you know, it's I think I'm trying couple of years
1: for rugby in North America in general. Yeah, let alone exactly the
0: mm. now, and, and that so I think that's it's a good kind of starting point for our discussions about North American rugby is. How do you feel the development of the league has gone? We're now into, uh, you know, the third or the fourth year, you know, taking the, po- the you know, a canceled season into consideration. How do you Which see-
1: part of the league are we talking about, Dan? Are we talking about the administrative process? Are we talking about the 90th version of whatever handbook they're on at an administrative level? Are, let's, we, talking let's just kind of just are we talking say development? Are we talking about players?
0: Are we talking about fan engagement? Are we talking about budget? Are we talking about making this an endurable product? <laughs> Take your pick, man. Let's, let's talk about kind of maybe the, the growth in terms of sustainability okay. for the league. I think maybe sure. that's kind of the best starting point we can go off of. Oh, so you want, you want my opinion on? Yeah, um, because I, I think that, I mean, Derek and I can give our opinions on how we think the, the league is doing in a sustainable fashion. But I, I want to yeah. kind of get your opinion as someone who was, again, part of, <laughs> of, of the Seawolves setup and has maybe seen a little bit more of the inside of, of how these, these teams have been run. Because there's definitely been missteps and mistakes and and oh, errors yeah. that have been going along with this with the start of this league. That's going to happen. That's going to happen with anything,
1: you know. Yeah. If it's
0: anything, anything
1: worth doing is worth doing incorrectly at least a couple of times before you figure out what not to do, you know. And coach development, I talked to um, I, I I'm very 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 lucky to have a friend and a gentleman by the name of Joe McCollum. Joe McCollum is. Joe's an expert and I actually, I, I never use that word. Joe's an expert and he and I talk constantly about um, our own approach to coaching and where we've gone. And We both agree we've learned a lot more from what not to do than by doing the right thing. Doing the right thing is oftentimes instinct, um, knowing what not to do. There's a lot of lessons to be learned on that. So applying that mentality to major league rugby, um, I would simply, simply Try and ring fence it with this statement. I'm not entirely certain it knows what it is. And I don't think it knows what it is on a cultural standpoint. We've got things like MLR drafts, a draft for collegiate students. Um, the, The ongoing rumor is that they're going to include Canadian universities in this, which is, I mean, best of luck. But then on the same token, we're talking about a sport that is, and I don't mean anything by this other than how it got over here, that is colonial in nature. Colonial in the sense it is from across the water. When we're looking at rugby in North America and we look at our fan base, our fan base is club rugby and club rugby for the longest time has been a largely marginalized group of athletes or people that want a more active lifestyle. Um, Go down to your regular rugby club and you're going to find an amazing cross-section of people. I mean, you are going to find the absolute ends of very, very many spectrums. So when we look at our current fan base, um, it's, it's interesting, in the sense that a lot of those people identify with a lot of the more cultural pieces of rugby. So, take Saint Patrick's Day for example. On Saint Patty's Day, everybody's somehow Irish, and everyone's oh, so and so is Irish, and so and so is this, and it's that it's that reach back into a, a time in which can give people, I believe, in two new, relatively new countries, Canada and America, a sense of cultural belonging on a world stage via sport. And being able to say, you know, this was my coat of arms or this was my clan, like those things really lend themselves well to rugby because it is at the end of the day identity. When we're looking at that identity and we're looking at the makeup of that identity, well, one thing we we don't often mention is that these people are paying money to play rugby at an amateur level. And then along comes professional rugby. All I've ever known is paid money for amateur rugby. I've played amateur rugby. We all have that one guy at our club who went, you know, he went and did this or he went and did that or he went and did that. They went and did this. And, you know, your club hangs their hat on it. It's a source of pride and it's really, really important because that's quote homegrown talent. But then when we look at how North America approaches professional sport, well, there's a couple of benchmarks that you would ideally want to hit before you would launch. So things like making sure the depth is there, um, there's so many American football players in North America that you could have. I mean, shit, we had the yeah. AFL, XFL, CFL, NFL, NFL, arena football, speedball, da 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 So we have the capacity there. You look at basketball, we have the capacity there. In rugby, we have the capacity to play rugby, but that – that was a stupid sentence. We have the ability to deliver on a lot of opportunities around our sport based on – people paying to play when we look at professionalism what are we trying to do here are we trying to convert fence are we trying to engage a currently existing base are we just kind of hanging on while the age grade development structures in and around our various nso's come up my mother lives in idaho and she says that high school rugby's just taken off immensely i mean if you know idaho there's not a lot of people there No, there's not. There's not many people live in Idaho. Not many people live in Nevada. But the university has a rugby team. Just because we have these clubs and just because these people are playing the sport, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're seeding future professional teams with talent. What it means is, is that there are people interested in the sport. It does not take a genius to figure out that they have run out of depth in the United States. Some of those people that are getting signed to teams in the Major League Rugby Oh my god, I'm not, you know, good on that guy. Hell yeah. You know, I get it. And we're all making do. And we, we're at that stage in the season where people gotta get it together. But people care more about here's here's an interesting one. Um, there was an athlete who, who was based out of Seattle that I was looking to sign, and I wasn't looking to sign this athlete based on their ability. I'd coached against this athlete because they had played in the British Columbia Men's Premiership for Seattle. And I'd been around this person and I'd had discussions with this person's teammates, this person's coaches. And this is a guy who ostensibly wasn't going to crack that roster, but I knew based on his last name and based on the geographic locations that people would care about this person based on their story. And when we look at a lot of, um, let's take Lucas Rumble, for example, let's, you take away all the neat things Lucas is doing out there on a field and you take away the smashed in face and the rest of it. That's a really good story. There are people that want to root for that guy, that hometown guy. And that's a big piece of North American professional sports is things like rags to riches or, you know, so-and-so grew up without a pot to piss in and then got a full ride. Bang, they made it here. They're no longer living in a car with their four or five siblings and they're able to buy their mother a home or buy their father a vehicle. Those feel-good natural stories that relate back to the human condition are very, very appealing, particularly in today's day and age. Nobody, nobody gives a shit about Montanonu outside of Denver, Colorado, you know, or the little town on the outskirts of Houston, Texas. Tendai Machuero's got a sweet nickname. So the beat, oh, have you heard about this guy named the Beast that's coming over? Well, for all of us rugby guys, yeah, sure. But if I'm bringing my friend down there and they just want to have a couple of beers, do they really want to sit there and listen to me talk about how Chris Robshaw got a raw deal underneath Lancaster and Eddie Jones? They don't care. They don't, they, people don't non rugby people do not give a shit. So then we look at the expansion of the league and how it's turned into an arms race. Well, everything got sucked up. And then you look at things like your salary cap. I'd be very curious to see how many teams actually fall within the guidelines, not formula for that salary cap and how a lot of those costs are dispersed and things like that. As we begin to fill out professional teams, as we begin to fill out these professional teams, I think that there has been a lot missed out on already. And that is the fact that we are starting to say, Hey, this is professional. Oh, okay. I mean, you had to pay to get it on TV. You know, you're paying money to put it on the CBS sports network. I mean, the rugby network coming through and picking the games up for free has been great. I'm not sure the deep, the, the term deals on that, right. But w- what are we trying to show people here? Are we, you know, you listen to the commentary. I mean, if you, if you've grown up and watched any sports in North America, you listen to some of those MLR commentators, you're muting those games. You're muting it. The, the, the announcement is terrible. Um, the, the lack of knowledge around the sport itself um, the weird approach to it, where on one hand we're dealing with expats who are talking about rugby in terms that people in their home country would know, but then there
0: seems to be yeah, like in terms of like language, that, that some of the commentators are using because we've got you know South Africans yeah British British commentators yeah. you're right the language doesn't always seem to be consistent
1: imagine you're, imagine you're sitting down to watch an MLR game for the first time ever on television what are you coming away with what are you, and what really are you coming depends, away
0: with it, for, for me it depends on 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 if it's a regional broadcasting team or fine it's, it's a it's, regional broadcast team yeah so and you I, live
1: you live in you live in Toronto. Um, you've never seen the Toronto Arrows. You went to university, and your university had a rugby team. And you know somebody you know dated somebody involved in rugby, and that's your kind. You've seen it. You know, you saw that one episode of Friends where Ross jumps in the middle of God <laughs> and only knows whatever that is. <laughs> We've all seen the episode. Yeah. You know, and and that's your, so you you're sitting down and you're watching the Toronto Arrows play the Seattle Seals. What's your biggest takeaway from
0: that game? Well, again, it depends on the environment. You know, if I'm watching it from home, I'm completely lost. Most likely agreed. My okay. my hope is, I mean, so no, hang on, hang on, on, no, no,
1: Dan, Dan, him. Dan, go with me here. So then you're in the stands. What are you taking away from it? And bear in mind, you're not there with somebody who knows anything about rugby. What are you taking away from it?
0: Well, you know what? When I, I think I can use the example of knowing very little about rugby league and when I went to a wolf pack game, like there were rules about rugby league that I had no idea what was happening. And rugby ball, it's still rugby, it's still rugby. And you played yeah. rugby, you still can't pass forward. <laughs> I guess so. I, I would hope that I would hope that it would be a fun enough environment that, you know, it could be entertaining without knowing the rules. So then are you going there
1: for the environment? Or are you going there for the sport? Probably for
0: the environment.
1: So when we look at the sustainability of this game, this league, and we look at the sustainability of player pools and the rest of it, there's one really big piece that comes out and that's market research. And Is that- it, takes, it takes a real diehard rugby fan to want to go watch a
2: game in the rain. How would you go about wanting to attract new fans? To the I would in no way, shape or form would I've gone
1: anywhere near the amount of teams there are right now, I would have managed the depth a lot better. I would have worked more closely with other professional entities in terms of learning from their mistakes. I would have played a way, way, way different style of marketing. Um, I would have made some amendments to the laws of the game. I would have... I would have done, me personally, I would have done so many things differently. But the first thing, and this is what I did at Seattle, which is why I believe they were so successful. I mean, we're talking about a franchise that is, in effect, a dumpster fire. They are on their seventh head coach in three years. <laughs> I mean, this is.
0: Well, you say it like that. <laughs> well, what else is it? I mean, no, what you're right. Thinking? You're right. It's just, it's, it's, it's a jarring thought to, to hear when you really, but you're right when you think about it. You don't. Taking consideration those two years of winning, but you're right. They they went through those,
1: those two years of winning. Do you know what my recruitment strategy was for Seattle, you guys? I'll, 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 I'll you know what? Here's here's the cheat code. <laughs> it's a brand new league, so there's going to be a lot of knock ons. There's going to be a lot of penalties. So I hired ten front rowers and five goal kickers. <laughs> went up front and convert, and that's what we did.
2: And we went up. led the league in for two years in a row.
1: But also based on the fact that the people we had brought in were local and they knew each other and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, I know this guy. Oh, I know this guy. Oh, I know this guy. And then you factor in the fact that Seattle's in a a great spot, a great city for sports. They use the same color schemes for all their teams. They really get it. So you take into account that you've got the right people in the room that don't actually need a coach. Sound familiar? Curry's redundant. What I'm hoping to do here. (laughs) They don't need direction. It's not a complicated sport. People want big hits, sweet passes, dudes getting stepped and massive collisions. There's a lot wrong with that. I understand that, particularly as we adopt a more proactive lens towards player welfare and player safety. But when you look at Seattle, you had a lot of really great people in there that understood how to play the game. You're dealing with a team now that is on their seventh head coach in three seasons. So, why are we spending money on really, really, really big name coaches? Why are we spending money on people from other countries to come over and coach rugby? This is my a large issue, and I believe that Major League Rugby has missed out on this by a good margin. When's the last time you saw something new and creative come out of an MLR game? Something you'd not seen before in terms of attacking shape, defensive structure, lineup variations, set I mean, piece can make plays? An was the
0: argument? That? Maybe LA at the beginning of the season was doing some interesting stuff, but even then it was still just High talent level, the ability to make those plays where other teams might not have made them. So, you're right, it's been pretty consistent. So, first and foremost,
1: because the insistence put on the importance of this league by national sport organizations, you would think that somewhere in there, somebody's going to go, I've got a team full of football players, basketball players, lacrosse players, soccer players, wrestling guys, boxers, basketball, hockey, baseball. People who have come from a... Derek, how many sports did you play
2: as a kid? Oh uh rugby, there you go. hockey, baseball, lacrosse. No. Um pretty, pretty much everything except soccer. Never like soccer. Dan, how about you? Everything but swap out lacrosse and soccer.
1: Football, wrestling, fencing, boxing, um rugby, mixed martial arts. Like I was out there, I was doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. We have people p- choosing to pick up a rugby ball in this country from ridiculous athletic backgrounds. My God, we have, I get guys that show up to UBC and it's like, well, I was a national team sprinter, but I'm done. Ah, uh, you know what? I was going to go to the CFL, but I'm over it. Okay. Well, here's a one, three, three, one. What? Oh, sorry. Sorry. I mean a two, four, two. What? Well, that's only on the first phase. Cause when we begin to attack that wider edge, we actually fall into like a, a completely different shape. A what? Yeah, you got to pass backwards, though, so it's fine. Excuse me? So it's already difficult enough to explain the sport to a lot of the people that a good number of people believe are going to make a conversion over. Newsflash, it's real tough to go from a dedicated American football high school program prep school, get cut from the NFL because you're a half second slower or you're three reps behind a guy. And then get told, well, this is what fifth phase rugby looks like once you've broken the game line outside your 22. I believe Major League Rugby has missed out on a real good opportunity here to create a playing style that best reflects what the North, what the Americas can do on a field. And yeah, the laws stay the same, but every single dude I know is does, plays fantasy football. We're all sitting there, we're watching fantasy football. I man, I coach guys that don't want to lineouts over, and we're a good, we're a good program. I'm not knocking these guys, but they've just never been shown. So if I'm major league rugby, I'm looking at a number of things. One, have I grown too fast? Two, why am I growing and what am I growing into? And three, what's the identity of this? What's the identity of this league? You can't put a flower in an. Dan, you cannot put a flower in an asshole and call it a vase. We can call things professional all we want. Okay, We can. we, we, we will, And we do. We do it a lot. And we sit here and we all hop on social media and we talk about this and we talk about that and we talk about this. But the reason why a lot of people from other countries are so dismissive of Major League Rugby is because they're watching a group of people who are relatively new to professional rugby trying to play their style of rugby. It doesn't work for me. It's not going to work for me. The Americas need to do something that best reflects their identity.
0: Now, my, my question to you is... You know, I, I feel like when a when league like Major League Soccer started, people had very similar discussions about this and that that the US was trying to build a brand of soccer that just they were throwing together Americans coming out of NCAA soccer. They were bringing people overseas to try to but Dan, what year are you talking about?
1: Do you know when do you know when Major League Soccer first got up off the ground? Mid nineties. Something like that, almost like the seventies, man. Okay. if you look at the white caps, the white caps have been around since the seventies. Right. Even going to the mid 90s, there's been a couple of attempts at it. Major League Soccer faces some huge issues right now. One, they don't have the capacity to house the guy who they initially said was going to be a part of that league. So in BC or in Canada, we have the CPL now, the Canada Premiership League, right? Right. So they've already made that adjustment. They've gone, wait a minute, this is weird. Entry points are bizarre. We're not sure what the focus is here, but we're already professional entities. So essentially it's a real estate long con for a bunch of team owners. Well, who misses out on this? The people that you're initially supposed to house. So then you get offshoot leagues that are much more honest about the product that they're delivering. I think Major League Rugby needs to give itself a good long, a good hard look in the mirror and go, right, what are we doing here?
0: So now saying those things, do you feel nervous about the direction in which Major League Rugby is going? Like, do you feel like if things aren't getting changed by the governing body, you know, by George Killabrew and the owners, Do you feel like this league is heading in the wrong direction or do you think that this is something that can be adjusted as the league grows and it can find its footing in in America, in in Canada? Uh.
1: Here's my approach to this if a guy comes to me and says, I want to play in major league rugby, I'm going to do everything in my possible, everything in my power to make sure that that guy has the best chance humanly possible to make that MLR team. I'm going to, I'm going to help that guy out in my program any way I can. The same goes if he puts his hand up and says, Hey, I want to play Canada under twenties. Let's get you there. Hey, I want to play on a national team. Fuck yeah. Let's get you there. I don't look at major league rugby as the destination. I don't in any way, shape or form. In fact, People seem to forget this. When this league first started, a lot of dudes were using this as a jumping board to go overseas. A lot of guys enter into this and go, well, you know what, I'll do a season or two here, and then, you know, maybe I'll head elsewhere. Whether that maintains or not, I don't know. But I, I of course I want it to succeed. I really do. I really absolutely want this to succeed. I want this. This is it, this is it's an important something. You know, I do care and I care because it's aspiration based which is going to somehow maybe get three or four more kids a year to sign up. Three or four more parents go, "Oh, it's professional." Oh, okay. A lot of people don't know that the majority of universities in Canada offer scholarships for rugby. We're not U sport. We we have way more flexibility than than a lot of these a lot of U sport teams do. Right. UBC, we operate under U sport guidelines even though we're not U sport, but I mean there's so much more going on with our sport in North America than just Major League Rugby. And I think that when we talk about, well, can we fix Major League Rugby? And is Major League Rugby in a free fall? Oh man, that is so cart before horse for me. What's supplying Major League Rugby? Where are the development hubs? How aligned are these development hubs with the aspirations of the people that are handing over checks to, pay, to play their sport? Do they have national aspirations? How, what, what, what region are they in? And this is the biggest one. And it's always going to come down to this. Quality competition. You do not get better playing shit. You don't. And it's a lot easier to keep an axe or a knife sharp than it is to put a brand new edge on a dull blade. As an example, we do very well university-wise. Um, you know, We lost to UVic in Concordia by a point for the University National Championships. But we, we're a large team and we've got a good culture around ethos around the gym and academics and being present we went to japan and we played the university of cape town and they put 58 minutes on us in 40 minutes 58 points on us in 40 minutes 220 minute halves 100 some odd stitches later we had a guy whose face was literally smashed in we'd never seen anything like this ever ever and this is a team that was like that year like fourth in the varsity cup okay so we get out there we get our faces kicked in, come out of the back end. Our guys are like, what the fuck was that? Was that quality competition? Probably too much. Definitely too much for us. Did we need to see it? Eh, you know, it's always good to get your ass kicked. Humility is a great thing. Pick your teeth up off the ground, put them back in your mouth, and away you go. But we then come back, and there's such a disparity amongst the programs, and there's such a disparity amongst the regions that play rugby, it's hard to get quality, consistent quality competition. I find the same thing with Major League Rugby. Why is it that Houston Sabercats are perennially terrible? you were one of the first ever to get, hop right out of the gates. Yeah. Why aren't you still bad at this? Glendale isn't even around anymore. Seattle has gone through on the strength of their players that every one of the seven new coaches come in and said, no, you're not my guy, you're gone. You're not my guy, you're gone. I'm going to bring in my guys. And then those guys are gone by the next guy. And then, you know, you just eat yourself in the womb over there. Then you look at the Eastern Seaboard. You take a guy like Marty Veal. Marty and I are real good buds. He's an absolute fucking beauty, Marty. I've known Marty for years. Marty's out there at Rugby Unite and he's keeping it simple, Simon. He's keeping it real clean, real simple. What are the best games he's going to get in that league? Who is it? And then I grow up playing in this league. What am I going to do? I'm going to go over and I'm going to, I'm going to sign on a what team? Who, who from major league, name a domestic guy from major league rugby that isn't on a national team that you, you think could hack it overseas. I'm sure there's a
2: few of them that isn't on the national team. Yeah. Like, isn't an Eagle or Canada. Hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, look, let's be honest. National team selection is not
1: necessarily an indicator of ability.
0: Yeah, for sure. Fair. Yeah. Fair as a skin tone. I mean, and Tom, it's to la Vega.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So we got a dude from Argentina. Yeah, one guy from Argentina, or okay. are, are we, if we're talking just domestic, oh boy.
2: Yeah. See, because okay, like, so- I, I feel like when, when I'm thinking of guys that would play in Europe, like my head immediately goes to like guys like Ben Lasage or something that ha- are obviously on a national team.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's take Benny business 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 Benny Lesage. Guy's an absolute beauty. UBC grad. You'd never know it, man. We hardly see the guy because he's doing a dual degree in engineering and souter School of Business. He's a, he's a brilliant Ben Lesage is. He's, un, he's an unreal human being and an exceptional person in every single thing that he does. If Ben wanted to go play overseas by now,
0: Ben would have done that. Yeah. We've had DTH Merver on the show and that's, you know, when we said, who do you think someone that, that should play overseas? He said, Ben Lesage. Like, no, no. Sure. But, But Ben's one of those guys where if Ben wanted to do this by now, he'd have done this.
1: Right. Not to say that Ben doesn't. I can't speak for Ben. But, you know, as someone who spent a good number of years with him and, you know, been around one another, made each other better people. The fact that Ben Lesage is the only person you can pull out of the top of your off the top of your head speaks volumes about what this league is, doesn't it?
0: Wow. I mean, if we're going to now branch out oh. to the domestic, to the, the teams, national teams, we can get into that. But but that's uh, the league, is it not? That's what we're dealing with, Dan. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what I personally want to see out of this is I want to see a stronger Eagles and Canada team, right? Is, is you I think, want you think I the want way forward? But you think
1: the way forward on that is Major League Rugby. You think Major League Rugby is going to make a better Canadian and American national program?
0: Well, I think you said, it. I mean, you got to have more competition. You have to have stronger competition. I mean, we look at what has happened to the Canadian national team by having less guys play pro. We've we've got other countries, and, and the U.S. is part of it, where they're having more and more guys jo- join uh, you know, professional setups. And their teams are just getting better because those guys are playing more, they're getting those skills brought into them, they're playing with different types of players from different types of you know set up, um, styles, set setups, styles, countries exactly. Yeah, totally. and that got,
1: they're immer- One might even suggest that by going overseas, they're immersed in the rugby culture. Yeah.
0: And I mean that's that's one of the reasons why you know the coaches at the arrows have been spoken so highly about the guys they brought in from South America.
1: So let's take that line of thought that you've got that right there, Dan. Let's go back to your previous question. What is the purpose of Major League Rugby?
0: Yeah. And I think that's going to be a question for the next couple of years that I think the league and its fans are going to continuously ask. So with that problem, with that line of thinking,
1: why on God's green earth would I shell out a ton of cash to start a professional team without the answer to that question you just asked? Well, I wouldn't. Yet here we are, so the milk's out of the bottle, and I definitely agree, this level of competition is the best we have in North America, full stop. That is it, there's no denying this. So then the question becomes, how do we make it better? Well, we have to be patient, so let's be patient. Dan, you yourself said that we're gonna make some mistakes. I agree, and we have to make those mistakes, so we have to learn what not to do. What happens when we keep making the same mistakes? What happens when we keep approaching this from all sorts of different angles that necessarily don't mesh with your audience? As an example, if I'm sitting down to write a screenplay, I am not writing a screenplay that caters to 10% of the population. I don't want to make art. I have no interest in being a starving artist. I have to write a movie that everybody wants to watch. I'd have killed the man to be the first guy to write a Fast and Furious movie. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So with that in mind,
2: you those look at mean, rugby. those didn't, really didn't do well for the first couple movies and then they went crazy, take, super you take, you take that back, Derek. It's all about family. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> so tricky. Dan,
1: Dan answer, to answer both of our questions, I don't have the answer. I think that there needs to be a lot more consideration given to the identity, the quality, and unfortunately, Playing rugby, having a bunch of people who play rugby doesn't make you very much money. And there's a finite supply of money in rugby. And everybody who's now got a professional team is taking away from another person who may have ostensibly given that money to a national sporting organization. So we've got a small pool of money. We've got a small pool of players. Yet here we are acting like we're just reinventing the goddamn wheel. A lot of people are. Take the approach of the Toronto Arrows. I have a lot of respect for Bill Webb. I know Bill Webb quite well. He's a lot of time for Bill. You sit down and you talk to Bill. Bill talks about rugby, in my opinion, very honestly. He's aware of all of these things, but he's thought about them. He's considered them. His approach is considered. Okay, good for Bill. You know, he's a smart fellow. Is everybody doing that? You would hope so. But what's one thing that rugby is always going to have? Tribalism. We all operate in our own wind tunnel or our own silos and their echo chambers. That's what we deal with. So how are we getting better? Because we're still approaching this like club rugby in a lot of ways. Me first, me first, me first. We all give lip service about how it's making everyone better. And look at this and look at that and look at this. But if I own one of those teams, do you honestly think I'm going to sit there and let you fucking beat me?
0: See, so you know what is I now want to start a GoFundMe. Because I want to see Curry Hitchbourne as an owner of, of an MLR team just so I can hear about the governing, you know, body meetings where Curry is tearing you know, Dan, a strip off of the rest of the owners.
1: Well, Dan, you know, um, I, I have a certain approach and I'm aware that I'm not for everybody. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm very direct. And I want to be direct because I find that being direct is the best way to show your intention. At the end of the day, it all comes down to intention. And you can be critical. You're allowed to be critical. In fact, critical thinking is vastly important, especially when it comes to our sport. Too often do we take for granted what's always been there. Too often do we look to the sky and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to fly in and fix this, or so-and-so is going to fly in and fix this. And we operate on weird rugby welfare too. You know, when I mean, you look at, you look at a, not- a lot of national teams at an eighth grade level, and you have to have X amount of players from each province. Why? why that's tall poppy syndrome at its finest pick the fucking best let's get on with this so when when you talk about the governance on these issues and you talk about the administrative processes on these issues and you look at how these things get rolled out it becomes abundantly clear is that everybody has their own agenda and that's okay everyone's always going to have their own agenda let me know what your agenda is here's my agenda let's find where our agendas meet and let's just work from that commonality the rest of that that's extraneous and we can work through that as we go along but we don't have that dan we we pursued putting a major league rugby franchise in vancouver and i'm very happy we didn't i'm very happy we did meaning me and my partners at the time because i i would not have been able to put up with some of the things that have gone on in the league and you know, right. COVID would have sunk us more than like, I don't, I, you know, I don't
0: know what I don't know, but I also don't think Vancouver needs a major league rugby team. I don't. Well, I think that's, an, I want to hear more about this because uh, yep. you did an interview with BC rugby news and you talked about the, about you and other um, yeah. uh, head coaches and directors of, of rugby yeah. trying they to are. put together a domestic professional team and you are uh, program and you, and you, you compared it to the Mitre 10 cup in, in new zealand Bunning, now. it's now bunnings npc
1: bunnings something it's yeah. no longer
0: mitre 10 they've changed the name again i didn't even know that mitre was a company so i'm i'm going to, i'm <laughs> going to just play oblivious and, and, it, and it's and
2: pro sports everything is sponsored everything is that's, sponsored,
0: that's, true. Yeah, yeah. that's but, true um i want to go into this a little bit because i think this is really good. interesting because mm-hmm. you know the fans are are on you know on Reddit and on Twitter and, and you know we we tend Derek and I tend to tr- t- troll through the Reddit and see what people are and one of the things that are people are constantly asking when they talk about expansion Vancouver 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 when is Vancouver going to be a team and you know I would love to hear your 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 side of it and also we really want to hear more about this 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 domestic uh, professional program because coming from an Ontario perspective you know I'm a I'm a I play you know university level rugby right? The, t- the highest I can go is club tier one club playing the McCormick cup, play for the Brantford Harlequins, play for the Peterborough Pagans, you know, that, that is as high as they go. But I think what you are trying to get together is really, really interesting, not only for those guys that are trying to look for something that's higher than club. Um, but it could also be a really interesting stepping stone for further development in the sport, like the U twenties, like, Pacific Pride, like MLR, so on and so forth?
1: Okay. Starting with the MLR piece. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful in Vancouver. It's very rarely, I mean, if you can live with the rain, you can do someday, you, you could you can ski on the mountain behind me and then head down to the water and you can surf in the same day. There is a lot of stuff to do in BC. When you look at the amount of time and the cost of living in the city, people have a tendency to want to do things outdoors, things that are free, beach, park, hike, kayak, swim, all these things. To pull people away from that during the time of this season and compete with other sports, hockey, um, actually just be hockey out here, you're targeting who? Well, you're targeting the BC rugby playing population to start. Maybe some family stuff. Sure, who knows? That's a small audience and it gets smaller all the time. Contrary to popular belief, there isn't a lot of rugby going on in BC anymore. Our men's registration numbers are down. Um, we Rugby in BC has taken a huge hit in the last five years. Um, there's a lot of mitigating factors and we don't have that kind of time to get into this. But we've been operating on the highest level of rugby you can play in BC right now would be men's premiership rugby. Those teams train on Tuesday and Thursday and play on Saturday. Okay. All right, sure. Club rugby is vastly important. It's an entry point and it's always home to a lot of people. So I am proposing that we simply go back to the future. And it used to be that if you wanted to make a men's national program, you had to play for the McHackley Cup. Now, bear in mind, this is pre-professionalism. And let's not forget the then Rugby Canada's complicit nature in issuing professional opportunities. A lot of people at Rugby Canada in the early 90s said professionalism was never going to happen and Canada doesn't need to follow suit. Great job, everyone. So I'm proposing we create, well, we breathe life back into the McKechnie Cup. The McKechnie Cup is fascinating. It's a regional competition. So it's the best players from those regions. You have the Fraser Valley, you have Vancouver, you have Vancouver Island. Historically, used to be UBC, where technically our own regional union, Vancouver Rugby Union, Vancouver Island Rugby Union, Fraser Valley Rugby. It was an unreal competition. I myself have volunteered to be the Vancouver Rugby Union men's head coach, and I've never lost a Roundsville, or never lost a McKechnie Cup. But again, it was always like back-ended on the summer, and they were told, oh, if you want to play for the BC Bears, you have to play for this. Newsflash. Guys that start playing rugby in the beginning of September, take a break for Christmas, stop playing rugby at the end of May, don't want to play rugby over the summer. Call me fucking crazy, but they don't want to fucking do it. These guys bang nails. They have desk jobs. They're fathers. Nobody has this kind of time. So we're wandering around telling ourselves, oh, the men's premiership is this, oh, the men's premiership is that. I've won a good number of premiership titles, and it has not changed my life in the least. It hasn't. That's great. Really happy for all the guys that want it. I think it's a great benchmark. It's still success. But if your aspirations are something above and beyond club, where do you play? Where are you playing? Where can you play? Well, you can't. You know, I mean, you can hopefully get into Major League Rugby without a cap. It, it happens. Um, you know, the idea that you have to have a cap to play in Major League Rugby is categorically false. Michael yeah. Smith, no caps for Canada. Can Fraser Hurst, no caps for Canada. So it can happen if, if somebody needs, but that's quite a narrow window. So looking at the dearth of players we currently have right now, looking at the onerous nature of our provincial sport organization, I mean, their gatekeepers are just, they've completely lost the room. You ask anybody my age and below what they think of BC rugby, it's not flattering. A bunch of these people have spent their lives, their teenage years paying money to be represented, to represent their province, not the other way around. So it's an absolute shambles out here and something needs to be done. Well, by bringing this back in, the hope is that we get quality competition on a more consistent basis in an environment that would lend itself to people who want something more. This is not an attack on club rugby in any way, shape or form. We have to have club rugby. It cannot go anywhere. It must stay. But in BC, we need to become a lot more honest about what club rugby looks like in the advent of professionalism and the amount of players getting vacuumed up. I also firmly believe that based on the weather, the culture of this city, the community, it is a really, really excellent destination for people to want to come play. It used to be if you wanted to make a national team, you had to come out back west. Um, there are still people at Rugby Canada that will tell high school students that if they ever want to make a national team, they they have to go to UVic and they have to move to Vancouver Island. Yeah. If, you don't, if you don't go to UVic, you're never going to make a national team. There are people involved at a national level who will tell children not to come play rugby at UBC because you won't immediately start on their top team.
2: That seems, that seems crazy.
1: I I have these emails. I have these emails from these kids. I know who these people are. I've had these discussions. It's deny, deny, deny. This has been going on for quite some time. Um, Rugby here in Canada has a lot of issues and I am merely suggesting stop looking at Rugby Canada for help. Stop looking at your national, your provincial sport organization for help. Stop it. They can't help you. Rugby Canada does not have the money. They don't. They do not. BC Rugby does not have the money, the staff, or at this point in time, the leadership ability to deliver much on anything outside of penalties for teams that show up with less guys or are unable to meet a fixture because we play rugby for 10 months out of the year and they're banged up. It's not good. Well, look at this stuff. I've been involved at UBC for eight years. Okay, right. and let's we'll just take my varsity guys, list of forty-four. The conversion rate on my time in rugby at UBC from UBC to men's club rugby. Guess how many guys in eight years I can I can name right now that are playing domestic club rugby? How many guys out of forty-four? 4044 a year for eight years oh, oh. 60
2: okay you Dan
0: 25 it's around 10
2: Whew. oh all right so that uh, that's six six times more than the answer so <laughs> why are these guys not going back and playing club rugby
0: Why jobs summer jobs, go after summer school all
1: right. So let's look at your daily training environment at UBC as a varsity athlete. Monday, you lift at 3 or 4, you meet up at the clubhouse, we do film review and then we go on field. Tuesday is all four of our teams on the field. Wednesday is gym, film review, on the field. Thursday is all programs. Friday is gym, captain's run, Saturday is games, Sunday is off. Are you connecting that's, the dots here yet? That's,
0: that's, a, that's, lot that's, a, that's a lot of time. That's almost a lot of energy. Professional hurt. setup it's a
1: lot of time. It's a lot of energy, but we're also, when we hear those, we go, oh, okay. So they have to make those. I don't do that. You catch more bees with honey than you do with shit. We have midterms. We have job co-ops. We have people, I have varsity athletes who only attend two trainings a week because they're part of chemical engineering design teams competing against top end universities around the world to create more efficient batteries. I I need that guy on the field. So if I can help that guy be successful in his design team, oh fuck immediately. Okay, you're out there making more efficient batteries. Can I talk to you about lineouts for a second? <laughs> yes. So that's the other side of this is that we're school first. I'm not saying what I'm doing is the best. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination, but we're doing something right. So they come out of this and you show up to a club. And I'm not saying this is all clubs, but we've all been at that club practice where you show up and numbers just aren't there. And then you start maybe play a little bit of touch and then your coach shows up and the forwards go over there and then the backs go over there. And bear in mind, you paid money to be here And you're also in charge for your own gym. You got to pay your own gym. You got to pay for your own physio. Some clubs, you got to pay for your own tape. Okay. I get it. But you're helping out your club and that club got you to where you were. People have changed. Generations have changed. There are numerous kids out there who have stopped playing rugby because they've gone. No, no, this is not for me. I am not doing this. I can't believe people pay to do this. It's, for a lot of people, it has become unattractive. McKechnie cup is a regional based competition that is not club specific. That way, because it's not club specific, you don't encounter that nauseating tribalism. You don't get that one coach. Oh, you don't play for my club. So you're not going to start for me. Nobody fucking cares about that anymore. Those days are done. You know, sending a guy from a local rugby club to a local high school to feed your rugby club, well-intended, good on you for going out there and helping out your community. But What's the conversion rate there? Yeah, There is a tournament that occurs. It used to be called the Japan Cup, and now it's called the Provincial Regional Championships in the summer in BC every year. It's U14 to U18. And it is the Fraser Valley, the Vancouver Rugby Union, the Vancouver Island Rugby Union, and the Okanagan, meaning the interior. I don't know if you've been to BC, but it's yeah. everything beyond the wall, essentially. A massive recruitment hub for me, by the way. I cannot wait to recruit those kids. I, I, I have to. <laughs> If you can get a kid who spent spring break in a logging camp and he wants to get a forestry degree, you, you get that kid. He's seen two fives in the same day without the help of designer drugs. He gets it. So kids come out of the woodwork for this. Kids get selected to provincial teams. And it's like, no, I'm not playing provincial level rugby. You don't get $3,600 for me to go to Newfoundland so I can play against, you know, whatever. I'm not doing that. I got my rugby fix at the end of the year. I did this. Well, those guys are all graduating universities now. Those guys are all graduating trade school now. I've gone out. I've spoken to those guys. I'm not talking to club presidents. I'm not talking to the BCRU. I gave them the option. Hey, guys, this is happening. We're doing this. We'd love your help, but we're not asking for permission anymore. Rugby, they have, they have not done what's best for themselves in this space, and they've lost the room. So I can sit around and I can wait for them to go, magic wand, it's fixed. Or we can just get the fuck on with it. Well, taking the most engaging portion, looking at the piece that is directly relatable to sports rivalries, not club rivalries, because a lot of people don't understand that. Well, let's make that for adults. And when I say men, that McKinney Cup is for men. Directly alongside that is the Ruth Heller Brown Cup. So let's take this for example. There is an enormous amount of Canadian women playing in the United Kingdom. Oh yeah, these women are paying—they're paying money to be over there. Like, there's—you know—sure, they're getting helped out from their clubs. There's not a lot of money over there, though. Some are making doing really well. Some get paid. Some, but majority, they still have to work. Well, if there was a league in the fall that was semi-professional, streamed games, dedicated S and C, training four nights a week with other players you're going to find a lot of people are going to come back because they want to make a national program. You're going to find a lot of people are going to come back because they want that higher level of competition. If you look at women's rugby out here, you've got three clubs. You really do. You've essentially got two really. And that's where all the national team players go to. And these are just blowout wins. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen women's scores where you're just like, what the fuck was that? Oh my God. And nobody got better. Nobody got better. Well, I believe quite firmly and so do a large number of people that the reemergence of a McKechnie cup and a Ruth Heller Brown cup will become a destination. Great. But again, it doesn't really answer the question about our domestic athletes and why they're no longer playing rugby. Well, give them the opportunity to try the sport for their city. Give them the opportunity to try the sport for their region. Give them the opportunity to reemerge back in that sport with their friends from all other places inside that region. Let them pick a club. Let them come through, let them play with those people, form some relationships, get to know a coach, unlock something about themselves, regain some confidence, um, improve, their, improve their own self-image, you know, or how they view themselves, you know, get them to engage in a more positive inner dialogue, get away from irrational self-talk and get into positive assumptions about their own future and the future of our sport, creating those environments, I find absolutely fascinating and we have it. But, and this is really interesting, is if you look at the bylaws in BC, in relation to how people pay, who has a say in what, somewhere along the way, it got flipped around. It all got flipped around. And you know, you've got the Rugby Canada motto, I think it used to be like, as one, and then like 15 other countries adopted it, or Canada adopted. I don't (laughs) know. Community to country. Okay, well, it's, it's well-intended, and I get that. And You know, Rugby Canada, they, they have to care about this stuff, but they can't manage it. So now what we're talking about is we're talking about something that is separate from provincial, something that is separate from national, something that is separate from professional. And what it is, is it's sport for the sake of sport, okay? That's rugby for the sake of rugby. And the only allegiance you have is to the city you live in. Well, I mean, that's, that's an easy sell. That's a really easy sell. I mean, some of the greatest sports rivalries are because somebody lives on the other side of a river. This is easy. It's really hard to explain to somebody new to the sport why Burnaby and Capilano don't get along. Why James Bay and the Castaways don't get along. It it just, when people sign up for a club, they sign up for that club's past, present, and future. And the golden rule is never pack more than you can carry. I just want to play sport, man. That's it. I don't want to get tied up in this. I don't want the politics. I want to go with my buddies. I want to smash people. I want to do it. I've been speaking directly to UVic grads, BC-based Queens graduates, UVic grads, Trinity Western grads, Simon Fraser University grads, guys that came through age-grade club systems, went on elsewhere, and then for whatever reason aren't stopping, and they said the only reason I stopped playing rugby is because, A, I had a real hard time paying for that atmosphere, and, B, it just wasn't fun okay what was the most fun you had playing rugby provincial regional championships every single one of them said that not one guy said my best time playing rugby was at a canada u18 team or my best time playing rugby was at a bcu 16 team my best time playing rugby was playing rugby with my buddies you know that one guy who was just couldn't pass off his left fucking hand but he broke out for that huge run against this one team and that guy cemented his place in team history you know or it's just so much more engaging and it's so much more profitable in a lot of ways. And when I say profitable, I don't mean money. I mean, profitable. In the sense are we're, we're tending our garden. We're not digging it up and then quickly replanting and digging it up and quickly replanting. We're tending our garden. We're going to create something sustainable, something that is destination based, something that people will want to play for. They may not go on and play club rugby, but that's their choice. And that's one thing we always forget about with rugby is free will. We're constantly telling people what they have to do. Oh, if you want to play here, you have to play here. And then you have to play here. And if you don't do this, you don't get there. What if I don't want that? What if I just want to play here? I don't even know what that looks like, man. I, I just, I just quit rowing. And I just picked up a rugby ball. I mean, we've got, we, we get these guys all the time and you explain to them like, Hey, I'm graduating. Where well, are going to go play for your local rugby club. What's my local rugby club. Well, it'd be this club. Oh yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to go work instead. Okay, cool. Well, every single time somebody goes to the Pride, for lack of, I mean, not every single time, but for the most part, you know, there's a case to be made that the Pacific Pride is the Toronto Arrows West Academy. There's a case to be made. And that's not a bad thing. You know, Bill Webb and his group are creating an opportunity for people who have been selected via national team selectors and, and, you know, guys like Jamie Kingsley, Phil Mack, Henry Paul, these are all very good people. They're very, very good men to a man. Why are we constantly heaping shit on these guys when the caliber of player they're getting is the byproduct of ownership, tribalism, inner politics? Man, you talk to any dude under the age of 30 right now, he just wants to play rugby. That's it. And if he's got the ability, show him where to go. Well, right now we're not showing we're telling. And the number one rule of any good story is show. Don't tell let value speak for itself.
0: What I love about, about your, your initiative is that we've talked about this on the show that, you know, you look at a good majority of their sports hockey, especially is there is a clear path to, Highest tier in hockey. You know, you start at rep, double A, triple A. You know, all the way to the OHL. You know, ECHL, AHL, and then the NHL. And then if the Olympics come around, that's that people tend to call that the highest tier. You know, I I think that with with a program with a program with what you're trying to run, it's making that process a little bit more clear for guys that you kind of just mentioned. You know, Dan, I'm going to challenge
1: you on your language there. I don't think it makes it more clear. I think it makes it more tangible. There is no way to go from club to professional right. You are not going to play club rugby in BC and make a professional team. It's not going to happen. Right. It isn't this. This is that bridge between club and professional. In BC, I can't speak for the rest of the country. You guys already kind of do this. You got the ECL, the East coast league, you know, it's fucking great. I mean, you've got you've got provincial teams from Maritimes. You've got Quebec. You've got Ontario. You guys are you guys are literally doing this. Yeah. We have the same amount of numbers playing. And when I say that our numbers are down, like don't get me wrong, we still have a lot more numbers than say Manitoba, Saskatchewan, maybe Alberta. Definitely based on geography alone and population density. Of course, we're going to have more than a lot of the Maritimes. Probably not as many as Ontario. But again, Ontario approaches rugby in a really, really, really unique way unto itself. I can't speak to that. I don't live in Ontario, play in Ontario, coach in Ontario. When you look at BC, there is a years ago, there was a need for this and there's a perceived sense of ownership of our sport out here in BC. And a few key people think that they decide what rugby gets to look like. And for me, What's always appealed to me about rugby is that as a poor kid growing up, I could play rugby. I could be included. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without my club. I need my club. I have to have my club. That's that hook. If I'm the BCRU, I put all my attention where it's supposed to be, which is the development of youth rugby players, retain them, engage them, and commit them based on their own actions. You talk about you talk about hockey being very clear in terms of its pathways as well. Rugby very clear high school club region province national team that's how it works right right but that's but that's the pathway how many times have we heard the word player pathway i don't have a problem with the player pathway i have a problem with the trajectory of the player pathway bottom to top take that and instead of start here and bang 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 put it on its side put it right on its side and treat it like a buffet. I'm going to do regional. Like create a bunch of options then. Exactly. Stop telling people how How they have things. Exactly. Create the opportunity and let the value speak for itself. Again, show people, don't tell.
0: Well, Corey, we really appreciate you taking the time. And really, and again, both of us are Ontario guys. So having you break down some of the things that are happening across our our country in the sport has just been, an amazing opportunity for us. You know, uh, you don't, you don't hear a whole lot about what happens and I think it's a shame. And that's why we, we want to have more guys like you on the show because we love, we want to hear more more about how rugby is developing or devolving in the country. So thank you for taking the time and have us on the show.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, like I said, I love the sound of my own voice. So this has <laughs> been very great. When I, when I talk about these things, you know, I'm, I'm not big into offering disclaimers. And I don't think that, you know, if your intention is where it needs to be and you've conducted yourself in a professional, direct and transparent manner, then you do have a certain amount of leeway with how you conduct yourself. And I'm going to take full liberty of that while I've got an audience. This is the point I'm making, okay? Is that rugby is being left behind by other sports. And this was noticeable 10 years ago and we did nothing about it. And it got real bad five years ago and we did nothing about it. And I'm only talking about British Columbia. Can't speak to any other provinces, and I won't speak to any other provinces. That's not my business. But I'm in a position through the amount of resources that I have and the various groups that I engage with where I can be in a position to help. And that's all I want to do. I'm very competitive. I recognize the need for competition, but I also recognize the need that if we do not make the necessary changes right now, we're going to continue to be a leftover from a bygone era in which rugby is just something that you do because your father did it and we've got enough lawyers already. So let's, (laughs) let's change it. Nobody owns our sport except for the people that are playing it. Saturday's your day. It's nobody else's man. So when I'm talking about these things, a lot of these opinions are very unpopular. That's fine. Pick up the phone and call me, give me a better solution. No solution without dialogue. And I'm a big talker. So opportunities to talk about what goes on out here and at least get a message across. that is not only held by myself, but a good number of people is greatly appreciated. So thank you both Derek and Dan for your time. I do appreciate it immensely. You didn't have to do this. And thank you for doing it.
0: Again, we will always take the opportunity for people that are looking to grow and change Cheers. the sport for the better. Do okay, well, you guys have
1: anything else for me? You had some fun Toronto arrows questions there on the back end.
0: Yeah. You know what? If you have the time, we, we would love to talk to you, but we, we t- tend to kind of look at the arrows game of the week. If you want to take the time to talk about that as well. Okay.
1: So I really enjoyed that game and I enjoyed that game because it was my ex-captain versus one of my ex-captains, Michael Smith versus <laughs> Ben LeSage. Also on that team, you have Tyler Rowland who came through UBC as well. And I really, really enjoyed that game because I love again, the competition. I could not take my eyes off of the mini game going on between Michael Smith and Lucas Rumble. It was fascinating, yes. completely different players. Mike is a unique individual. He's the polar opposite to Lucas Rumble. I think Canada's in a really, really, really advantageous position further on down the line because you've essentially got man. I just, <laughs> I loved watching it. You could see it. They were just after it. Both of those guys, Lucas Rumble is one of those people where you'll have to kill him in order to make him stop. You've literally got to kill him.
0: And I think he's heard. <laughs> I think he's heard about Michael Smith, and then people are talking about him. And, and well, that's because,
1: but, but, Dan, that's because Michael Smith is fucking good at exactly. Rumble. So he's saying, he's...
0: "I have the perfect opportunity to remind people that that number seven jersey for Canada is bloody mine." And I think that oh. he, you saw it on the pitch. Ah, uh, interesting. I look at it like this. Okay we've spent our
1: entire time talking about value of competition. Yeah. Yeah. How much better is a guy like Lucas rumble going to be with a guy like Mike Smith breathing down his neck, trying to take his job. Oh, better. And that's, but I, I, yes, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. So look at the intended consequences of the MLR. And I think that's a strong takeaway is that we do get that battle for spots at a national level. We're not talking about anything else other than that's my goal. I want that. Michael Smith is a completely different, completely different player than lucas rumble i don't know lucas rumble from adam i probably said two words to the man i really enjoy watching him play rugby so when i look at that game and i look at how it all went down how it all shook out toronto's clearly got some injury issues right now you got to feel for the guys i mean a very close friend of mine lives in atlanta georgia and i put him in touch with bill and the guys i'm like hey man like you can get these guys into your pool, you can get these guys up for a barbecue and they get off their feet, please do it. It's not, it can't be easy what they're doing. You know, I mean, no, you're a Canadian like company in the United States. You're not allowed to sign people. They're just, but they're doing it. And I think that's really, really important. And it speaks really, really well to the people that put that Jersey on weekend in weekend out. I don't look at things like score lines, you guys. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I just, I don't. It doesn't interest me. Sure. You won great. Fuck. Fantastic. That's your job. I really like to see what goes on in between, and a lot of those micro battles and those games in the games. For me, it was that Rumble Smith battle, and I and I think Michael Smith showed well enough. You can take this to the bank. I'll bet you, I'll bet you both thousand dollars right now. Michael finds himself on a roster headed over to the United Kingdom.
2: Oh, well, I would take that if I wasn't a podcast host. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, I have to redo my kitchen. This yeah,
0: summer. I'm okay with not, not, uh, a thousand, not losing a thousand dollars.
1: I'm not saying he's taking Rumble's job. I'm not say, saying he's taking Heaton's job. That's not what I'm saying. But I bet you see Mike over there. Yeah, Canada's, and- in, a, Canada's, Canada's in a good spot right now. You know, like people got to be patient. People got to figure it out. Give Kingsley the time of day. This is the only national team men's head coach that's ever ever picked up the phone and called me at UBC ever and he didn't call just once. He's in constant communication. This is a right. guy who is putting the time in to identify. Fuck man, this is the dude who when he was at Russia pulled a guy out of Dagestan and made him his captain on the Russian national team. Like the I don't intent even know is, where that there. is. <laughs> Yeah. So now uh, it's a former autonomous zone north of Georgia. Okay. Anyway, yeah, my wife's Armenian, um, and that's South from Dagestan. We digress. The The fact that Kingsley is out there doing what he's doing and he's putting these guys in positions and he's paying attention says a lot about what their long-term goals are. I have a lot of faith in Kingsley Jones. I have a lot of faith in Jamie Cunmore. I have a lot of faith in the people on the field, okay? The people on the field. They're very clear delineation here, all right? Well. I think that Canada, with the pride, I think this is already starting to bear fruit. And I think that in a couple of years' time, Canada's going to have a really, really good squad. I also think that Canada is going to be hard pressed to qualify for another Rugby World Cup. I really well and truly do. Let's look at their let's look, let's look at in their the competition. The, let's look at their admittance into the Jap in the, the RWC in Japan. Well, if Romania hadn't been caught cheating and Belgium hadn't been caught cheating and Spain hadn't been caught cheating, does Canada make that Rugby World Cup? I hope so. I well and truly do.
2: But they have to play one of those teams and not Germany to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I know it's uh, like Michael Smith kind of made his debut. He had that brief two-minute appearance, Mm -hmm. um, had a breakdown steal and a couple tackles in his two minutes. It was pretty awesome. And then you put out like the hashtag, like free Michael Smith, and now he's playing. And now he's you know, he's played, I think, a couple, like, he played, like, a one, he got a full 80-minute shift in a couple of games. He played 60 minutes uh, last week against the Arrows and stuff. How, like, happy do you get watching those UBC guys like Smith or Lesage, like, playing well in Major League Rugby in at the pro ranks? Like, how much, I guess, like, pride or whatever do you feel in the guys that kind of have gone through your programs and are now succeeding at, like, a professional level?
1: No matter what the people do that come through my program, no matter what they do, they're always going to have my respect and I'm always going to be proud of them, no matter what they do. If you play men's third division rugby for me, I know your name. I know your position. I know what high school you went to. I know what your interests are. I make a genuine attempt to get to know these people for what they are, which is people. We just happen to have a shared interest in rugby. When I see people like Ben Lesage or Michael Smith or Fraser Hurst, who's still at UBC, but applying his trade in Salt Lake City, I'm I'm incredibly proud of them, not necessarily because they're, you know, playing professional Rugby or things like that, but because they're doing things that they set out to do. So I'm very, very, very filled with gratitude that I've been allowed to share my life with these people, have them make my life that much better, literally by dint of knowing them. When Mike got asked to play rugby for the San Diego Legion, he also had an offer from the Toronto Arrows, and Michael called me. In. I don't tell, it is a very... <laughs> I don't tell people what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do in my, in my rugby program, I'm not doing it. So Mike gets the opportunity for the Toronto Arrows. San Diego had also come along and Mike was in a position where Mike's like, fuck, I got to make a decision. So Mike calls me up and Mike is so intelligent. I and mean, we're talking about a human being here who graduated from the university of British Columbia in four years with a degree in pharmacology. Okay. No one does, does a degree. I don't and even know that's what a pharmacology f- is.
0: Okay. Like but I, I
1: uh, drugs. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I, I, had, I'm, I'm, I had spoken to you guys about what our daily training environment looks like. And my varsity <laughs> athletes take, the, take, take the, the bare minimum. So they take three courses a term. Never Michael. Michael took a four course load the entire time. And he was our captain. And he was the president of the, the Thunderbird Athletic Council. And he won a bunch of awards. And Mike had an interview to go to Oxford. And Mike had this interview, that interview, that interview. Mike's recently been admitted to law school. So Mike is very capable of making his own decisions, advocating for himself, and making decisions based on the information given. So when Mike called me and said, hey, I'm in a bit of a bind, what should I do? I just let Mike talk. And Mike realized that by speaking about this, he'd already made his mind up. And that was, if I go to Toronto, I have to beat this guy out to get on the field. If I go to San Diego, I'm going to learn from Chris Robshaw, and I'm going to have to fight for a job with people I don't know. So Mike took San Diego. San Diego, I think, was actually the harder opportunity. He'd been told by the Arrows, you know, Mike, a lot of Canadian guys don't get a fair shake south of the border, and I couldn't agree more. Mike, luck, preparation, ability, Rob Shaw blows his shoulder up. They move Somme to number eight. Okay. Mike gets that window. He gets on. Last thing you ever want to do is give Mike space figuratively or figuratively or literally. So Derek, to answer your question, how proud do I get? I get very proud because that's something that they set up to do. I'm so, proud of them for following up their plans. I have sweet fuck all to do with this. I merely facilitate. I'm here for, I told you this. I still, I started this conversation. I do what I do for incredibly selfish reasons. It's an outlet for me. I just very, very, very lucky to be surrounded with the people that I, that I
0: am. All right. Well, you know what? We got to finish up here and we're going to do our last thing. We do this every show. Um, uh, Curry, and it's we are we have been having an awful, 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 no good, bad time with it this season. But okay. we are going to put our predictions in for this week. The game, okay. first game Nola at Old Glory DC. Who do you have, Curry? Nola, Nola. I, I'm gonna say Nola too. Yeah, I'll, I'll
2: make it three for three. so I'll, okay. I'll go Nola there too.
0: Toronto at Austin. Austin.
2: Derek. Yeah. I'm just going to continue the, uh, I'm, I'm an arrows fan. So I'll just, I, I feel bad if I vote against them, you can't it just, it's like, like, what are we going to do? We can't put like the and tower is going to be orange this week. Like it's, it's not, it's not good. So yeah. <laughs> Derek, remind me to bet with you more often. Next Dan. <laughs> I said San Diego last
0: week and I, and I got the points. I don't know if I could go against the arrows two weeks in a row. I will go oh. with Toronto. All right, San Diego at Utah. This is going to be a really interesting matchup. San Diego at Utah. We've got an elevation change.
1: We're going to sea level to the high mountains. Spring in Utah. I'm from six. I'm from six hours east of Salt Lake.
0: Andy had just traveled to the eastern seaboard the week before. San Diego had. Yeah, San Diego did. Yes.
1: Yeah, short turnaround. Hmm. You know what? It's real tough to bet against Paul Mullen right now. I'm going to Utah.
0: I'm going to San Diego. I think that okay. they've got the, the piss and vinegar from their last couple of games that they're, they're pretty fired up. So I think that they've got something's, something's working. They've, they've turned the corner. Joe Peterson is, is raring to go.
2: Okay. Uh, and that's uh, it. Those. Much, much like when we use the Toonie, Dan, I think uh, Curry knows more about rugby than you, so I'll go with the option that's, <laughs> that's not you. That's, that's angle a fair assumption. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, this is a this is a really good week for matchups until the end, but um, rugby ATL at Rooney, Rooney, Rooney. Ooh. I'm going Atlanta. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a... the smart that's the smart bet, but mm. I think he's got it.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, man, that's going to be a fun. That's <laughs> probably that's the game of the week I think right now. Um When length, did Rooney
1: When did Rooney last play?
2: Uh, yeah.
0: No, oh, they had the bye week cuz they played they played in the the they played OG huh? the week before. They didn't play right. last week. Look, there you
1: go. So they're coming off a bye. Now look at ATL's last game. What was the point spread? That was like what 8-7? One point. Right. Low low scoring affair. That's a bit of a war of attrition. Something tells me one team's going to have more depth on the bench than the other.
2: Rooney. That's me.
0: Okay.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, It's
0: justified. (laughs) Seattle at um, free jacks. Yeah. That's the free jacks. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
2: I I can't, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you can't pick against the free jacks at home right now either. So
0: Uh, I'm going to go with,
2: it's tough to bet on Seattle. (laughs) <laughs> that, that that also that also. I yeah. almost
0: yeah. got it last week. I gave them. I I said they beat Utah this year, and they, they damn it, they almost did it. I almost had a perfect week last week. If it wasn't for Seattle, horseshoes okay. and hand grenades, Dan. <laughs> okay, the last game of the weekend, uh, Houston at LA. <laughs> LA. Boy. Yeah, it,
2: that's yeah. Okay.
0: Unless that
1: you know what that could have trap game written all over it. Houston's not good. Guillotines are. Good enough where they can afford to literally play whoever the fuck they want and still stroll in the playoffs. They may show up and put, you
2: know,
0: the C team
1: out there, rest some guys, and oh
0: fuck, we lost. I mean, we'll look at the what happened the last, last, LA. the last time that these two teams played. Oh, yeah. it's game. I too. Yeah, I'm going to go LA. Yeah. I mean, half the guys were all in uh, <laughs> Cancun, so they might have just been uh, a little too tired. All right. Well, Curry, thank you very much for joining us. We had a lot of fun talking rugby, and hey, uh, we really appreciate it.
1: I gotta I got be completely frank with you, you know, I um, i very rarely get a chance to speak to other people about rugby outside of my front, back and side yards here. So talking to anybody from middle Canada about sports always good. Um, I guess you're now both
2: Habs fans, so. Oh God, don't say that. No, all right, yeah. You're not. <laughs> we're never bringing him back on the show after that comment either. <laughs> could be worse, you could be a Canucks fan. That's true, that's
1: true. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> okay dudes, I'm gonna go hang out with my family. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Yeah, you bet.
0: Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. If you want to listen to more of our episodes, go to La Rouge Rugby on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are on YouTube. If you want to watch the uh, video version of our uh, episodes and interviews, Uh, we are available on all podcast streaming platforms. Um, Going all the way back to... Uh, the arrows first season world cup prep interviews with players during the COVID lockdown and preparations for this current season. So if you're looking to listen more about Canadian rugby, you know where to find us.